Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com. I'm Navy veteran and sports fan Phil Briggs. And today we're going to talk about task force movement, life cycle pathways for veterans and military to trucking and cybersecurity, and their new partnership with MilitaryHire.com, an organization we've had on the show before. They're always dedicated to helping connect veterans with employers. Uh, now, here to talk about the task force is chairman of it, Patrick J. Murphy, 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, acting Army Secretary at one time. And he was the first veteran, if I'm not mistaken, from the Iraq War to be elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he represented Pennsylvania's 8th District. And with that, I'm certain he's a proud Philadelphia Eagles fan this time of year. So let's say hello to former Army Captain Patrick Murphy. Welcome to CBS Eye on Vets. Hey, Phil, it's good to be on with you. And, uh, yeah, it's a great day to be an Eagles fan or, frankly, a Phillies fan because the Phillies are obviously in the National League Championship Series against the San Diego Padres. The Eagles are 6-0. and The Philadelphia Flyers are 2-0. and And the Philadelphia 76ers start their opening season in Boston against the Celtics. And I think we're primed for a great season. So we're 4-4 four for four in Philly, and life is good. I know the Philly sports fans, my best friend and former radio partner lives up there as we were chatting, worked at the mighty WMMR. And, uh, I got to say one heck of a town. Although I don't, I don't understand the expression city of brotherly love. Every time I've been there as a Washington fan, let me tell you, it, I don't see any brotherly love from any of my friends at the bars in Philly. Well, it's like if you're a brother and someone picks on your little brother, then, then, then you're going to feel the wrath. So. As long as you're part of the family, we love you. If you're not part of the family and you're obnoxious, we have to send a message that that, that behavior is not welcome in our house. 
Yeah. Okay. Tell that to Santa Claus circa 1970, whatever that was. I know. I know, Phil, but uh, yeah, there's a backstory to that, but hey, man, we're, we're good. Life is good. And, uh, the crime rate is now down, literally is down in Philadelphia because everyone is so happy about our four sports teams doing so well. Man, what a, what a thing sports can do. Uh, kind of like the military experience in some ways. We play on teams and, uh, you certainly did, uh, your career fascinating. And uh, before we talk about the task force and all the great ways people are getting jobs in cybersecurity in the trucking industries, cause I got a lot of questions about that. But before we talk about task force movement, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. If we could, I read that you were a JAG officer and probably have the army to thank for even, you know, helping you become a lawyer. Uh, tell me about your service and especially what kind of things a JAG officer does for the military, because I'm not always sure folks understand that, it, you know, there's more to JAG officers than just Tom Cruise in. Uh... Yeah, yeah. If you can bet it's a great film. Um, yeah, so I've been very lucky. I mean, the Army, frankly, changed my life, uh, much like the Navy changed my father's life, and my grandfather's life. Uh, the Army opened up so many doors for me. I joined when I was 19. Um, I was trying to follow my uncle's footsteps, who was. A Vietnam vet serving the 82nd Airborne Division. I said, I want to be an Airborne Ranger with the 82nd Airborne Division when I signed up at 19 to Army ROTC, my sophomore year of, of college. Uh, and then I earned my commission um, as a lieutenant. So uh, the Army obviously yeah, invested in me, uh, made me the leader of character I, I became. Uh, and uh, I was lucky enough, it was during that time in the 90s, frankly, that, that movie, A Few Good Men, came out. And I had some mentors and they said, hey, what about the Army JAG Corps? And I said, hey, well, I'm not sure I'm not. You know, I was a messenger at, at age 15 at a law firm. And so I was talking to one of the lawyers I used to have, you know, Xerox papers for and file legal documents in City Hall and fill up BF4. And he, and I said, you know, Mr. Khan, I'm not as smart as you are. And, and he said, Patrick, I wasn't as smart as I am, you know, now when I was, you know, 19, 20, 21. He said, take the LSAT and, you know, just, just give it a shot and see what you're doing. I mean, you know, I, you know, obviously you're, in the army, but you know, maybe you could go in a different branch if, if that you know, keep your options open. So I did it, uh, and it, it shook out that the army uh, let me go into the army JAG school, so and then the army JAG Corps. So the army JAG Corps is just like any other, uh, it's like the Department of Justice. It's we do a full, we have over 4,000 lawyers, uh, we do everything soup to nuts, uh, we do. Legal assistance where you're helping people do their wills because they have to go to harm's way. You want to take care of your family. Uh, unfortunately, the divorce rate is a little high in, in the military because of the constant deployments at 9-11. Um, and we do prosecution and, you know, defense work, uh, and criminal justice. Uh, Phil, a little known fact. I, I was also a professor at West Point. I taught constitutional law at West Point. I did not go to West Point. I taught there. I served on a board there years later, but. I learned what teaching constitutional law, you actually get more constitutional rights in the military and criminal justice rights than you do in the civilian society. So in the military, you get less First Amendment rights, like freedom of speech and religion and stuff like that. But in the criminal justice system, you actually get more Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights. And so uh, I, I know you're not having me on and talking about con law or constitutional law, but I, but I, uh, it was part of my life. And I was there, fellow at West Point when Unfortunately, 9-11 happened uh, when thousands of innocent Americans were murdered that day. Uh, and I marched in my commander's office uh, within hours and, and said, hey, sir, I jumped out of planes and propelled out of helicopters and I got to get in a fight. And soon after I deployed months later under General Petraeus, our ground forces commander then was Colonel Mark Milley. I was his lawyer. And Colonel Mark Milley is now the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. So um, I was there and I came back and was in the invasion force in Iraq. 
Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, I was there when I lost my team and my unit. Uh, you know, we were there. I was prosecuting terrorists, uh, putting them, putting them away in Iraqi jails and, and other things. But, um, you know, that weighed pretty heavily on my heart and still does to this day. Yeah. So much, so much appreciation for that last part. War is hell. And, uh, glad we have guys like you that we can count on that stand up and serve. Um, I was going to say, it's interesting how you talk about General Milley and we talk about constitutional law and like at the time of the troop surge, you know, it was like uh, that wasn't part of everyone's everyday vocabulary. And it just seems like in the last decade, isn't it a trip? What a change it's made. Election debates and con law seems to be, oh, don't you know the Constitution? And everyone's a constitutionalist now all of a sudden. And uh, General Milley's in the news, you know, as you know, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but of course everyone's, oh, is it too woke? Is it not woke enough? Good Lord, did you ever think you'd live in an era where constitutional law was something we just riff about at a coffee shop? I mean, God, yeah. what? Yeah. I know, I know. Listen, I, again, I spent years while like teaching it, and, and, you know, I love the Constitution. In fact, you know, as I thought, I know you're a Navy veteran, the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps were all founded in Philadelphia, where we had the Constitutional Convention, you know, and the Constitution, again, this is the blueprint of America. This is where it says, hey, we have three branches of government, executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, and one is not more powerful than the other. It's like rocks, paper, scissors. Uh, we have these checks and balances for a reason. I love, I love the Constitution. I was just there uh, the other day uh, swearing in Army soldiers, the next generation of our leaders in the military. But um, to me, it's really important. And, and I hear the the amateur hour from folks in Washington, they, they want to pick out the piece of the constitution that they want to follow and not other ones. They want to honor certain amendments to it, the bill of rights and not other ones. But uh, to me, you have to be consistent. And uh, I, I believe in it. And I, whether I was an elected office or when I was serving my country, taking that oath to support and defend the constitution as an army soldier, or as the acting secretary of the army, uh, I got after it and made sure that I was always faithful to that incredible document that created this wonderful nation of ours. Now, let me see, it kind of just sparked a little follow-up question. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but I just love picking your brain on this. You know, we hear about the, I hear in social media a lot of fear about how, oh, the Constitution and democracy as we know it was going to crumble if you don't do this and you don't do that. You don't vote this way and you don't vote that way. And just the democracy is so fragile right now. You've been a veteran. You've been a congressman. And you're a constitutional lawyer, or rather a constitutional expert that happens to be a lawyer. Dumb it down for the E4 here on the other end of the mic. Are we on the precipice of democracy as we know ending? Or are are these fights and these arguments over constitutional things and laws that affect our lives, is this what they intended when they wrote that thing? That it's an ongoing mixture that is constantly changing? It is an ongoing mixture, uh, but the, the problem is that no doubt that we had a pretty dark day almost two years ago, January 6th. Uh, and again, not, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. You know, when you have, you know, over 100 cops that were injured, that were physically assaulted, killed, frankly, you know, it's it's just, it's wrong. Uh, and, and again, you know, we have elections. Elections are super important, uh, whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent. Uh, and, you know, but we have to honor the process. And, and even if you don't like it. Um, and so. Uh, I, I know when, you know, when I voted for presidents and they didn't win in the past, I, I always honor like this. I, I, I supported one person, the other person got it, but I was like, all right, that person's my president now. And, and I wasn't there in the, you know, trying to bust their chops. I was there, you know, 
praying and hoping that they, they would do a good job, even though I wasn't, you know, the person I voted for. But we, we all have to get in. I think uh, I will tell you, Phil, and, and I, this is why I believe veterans can lead the way here. We have to go back into unifying our nation. Enough of the folks, you know, calling the other party, you know, whatever the bad names, right? And if you look at it, the majority of, of Democrats think Republicans are racist and the majority of, of Republicans think Democrats are socialists. And the reality of it is that's not accurate. You know, we're all Americans. Uh, we have an incredible nation, but it's our duty to make this nation better. And we're better when we're unified. You know, divide it, we will fall. And that's why we have to figure out ways. And we don't need another 9-11 for us to bring us together. We need to make sure we're getting after. And that's why I've devoted a big part of my life, Bill, real quick. I know that's not why you have me on. We have the least amount of veterans serving in Congress right now in American history. So I have committees, you know, I support veterans running because, you know, I know veterans when I get in there, whether it was John McCain or John F. Kennedy, you know, when they were there serving uh, in Congress, they always put the country first, where in most cases they put the country first. I saw with my own eyes, my roommate when I was going through, I won my first race. You know, again, I was a blue collar guy, grew up in a row house in Northeast Philly. My dad was Navy enlisted, a radio man. Then served 22 years as a Philly cop. My mother was a Catholic nun. Luckily for me, she left. She met Jack Murphy. She left the convent. And I like to say she she dumped Jesus for Jack Murphy, although we're all devout Catholics, you know, but I grew up in that background. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, when I served and then when I had the opportunity to serve in Congress, even though I won, I was asked to spend over $3 million. I only won by 0.6% in suburban Philadelphia. Uh, I was there. I didn't know if I was going to serve two years or 20 years, but I was like, hey, I'm going to make every day count. And it's like playing sports or, or deploying in combat. Uh, if you're afraid to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. You got to be there, you know, with a, with a clear, clear mind and a full heart and, and be ready to get after it. And, and that's what, you know, I did in, in combat and that's what I did in Congress. And, you know, I'm proud of my service and, you know, my daughter, Maggie Murphy, her son, Jack, uh, I did my best and hopefully continue to make them proud. Amen. Yeah. And I'll just also share a little, like one more fun fact that I learned about you, but you talk about the significance of accepting elections or, or leaders. Uh, you talk about the mudslinging and everything. And, and here, you know, we tend to, I think in America gets, you know, our water boils so damn quick over every little issue. And it suddenly goes from policy. Well, I see it philosophically different to you're a bad person. And I think we tend to jump and accelerate these arguments because we don't even know how good we got it. And the fun fact I wanted to share was, let me find that. Um, while with the 82nd airborne, uh, you were tasked with, you know, kind of reconstructing the justice system over there in Iraq as they were trying to piece back together a freer life. You worked to prosecute Muhammad Ali Hassan Al-Moyad, which was a Lieutenant of Muqtada al-Sadr. And to any veteran out there that fought in that southeastern corner of Iraq, Sadr City, you know, was hell to pay. I mean, that was a Muslim extremist leader. He had fallen in the or he had followed the footsteps of his father and they were tyrants down there. They were holding people and depressing people back. And one of your jobs there as a JAG Corps officer, again, 82nd Airborne, uh, prosecuting that. And I can only imagine that that's what probably resulted in some of the friction that cost your buddies their lives. And at the same time, it's the thing we take for granted and don't remember here in America is that we don't have Muqtada al-Sadr's on top of us. We have a right. free system. And just to see that you, you know, help do that and that you were the 
prosecutor of that. Uh, I was unaware that we did the international prosecution. I thought it was just law and order on the base. But yeah, that's a huge part of your background that I think reflects why you think the way you think. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, part of that opportunity was because I taught international law at West Point and I led the our international law team. You know, when I prosecuted Sheikh, Sheikh Moyad, I mean, listen, he killed his own people. He killed a nine-year-old girl. Uh, and in that country at that time, they don't understand the principles we have here in America. That is, no one is above the law. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States uh, or Joe Schmo off the street. We've prosecuted presidents in American history and criminal law and in civil law. President Nixon, prosecuted in criminal law. President Clinton, prosecuted in civil law. So, so again, you know, we, we believe one of our core fundamental principles that is laid out, by the way, in our constitution is that rule of law. Uh, and we can't deviate from that no matter how popular a certain president or elected official or personality might be in America. So, um, I was proud to do that. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, this extremist Muslim, you know, yeah, I did take out you know, two of their terrorists, they know where we were. You know, we did lose, you know, 19 men uh, in our infantry brigade. Um, but I will say to you, you know, we did a lot for, for the Muslim faith in American history, too, just in recent history. Uh, people forget, like, I, my first appointment was actually to Tuzla, Bosnia. And in Bosnia and Kosovo, they were slaughtering innocent Muslims in the side of the road in towns like Severnica, where they would load up these young as 15 years of age to... to 65-year-old men, and they load up on buses, bus them out of town, and they pull up the side of the road in towns like Sebrenica, unload them, and execute them on the side of the road. Why, Phil? Why? Just because they were Muslim. It was the worst ethnic cleansing in Europe since World War II. It was, it was in the uh, you know, mid-90s, and it didn't end until the United States of America said, hey, not under our watch. And I suppose I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up one of the most controversial things that, uh, you know, one of the stances you took in Congress. And, um, that was, what was it? The New York Giants Super Bowl. Oh, so I thought you were going to listen. I knew I had to get to this because you were the, I think the only vote in Congress in 2008, uh, that was against a resolution congratulating the Giants for the team's Super Bowl victory. And, uh, your quote was, as a former 700 level security guard and a lifelong Eagles fan, I couldn't in good conscience vote for New York Giants. The only thing worse than, than that would have been a resolution honoring the Cowboys from Dallas. Uh, yeah. I thought that yeah. was great. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I will say to you, uh, I won my first election by 0.6% by 1518 votes at the quarter million that were cast. Um, I voted my conscience in Congress. Uh, I voted against the New York Giants. I won my reelection by 15 points by over 55,000 votes. So, you know, my people, I, I represent them, 700,000 of them. They didn't agree with me sometimes, but they knew I was going to stand for what I thought and I was going to be righteous. And I was righteous in that vote to pass 412 to 1. I was the one voting against New York Giants. But, um, you know, I, I'm a good sportsman and all that stuff, but I, I, I couldn't honor, I couldn't vote yes for New York Giants. There's no way in hell. Um, and, and, you know, I started my career, as you mentioned, you know, as, you know, when I was 16 years of age, I was about 120 pounds. But I was an Eagle security guard. You know, there were some cops that worked with my dad. They said, hey, I know your son plays hockey. He's captain of his team. Like, we could use some guys that could understand what teamwork and, and discipline's all about. And, and so I used to work in the old 700 level in the end zone section, the worst seats in, in the whole stadium. But I worked there. And I used to joke that 
man, that was tougher duty than Baghdad and 138 degree Baghdad, you know, leading convoys up down Ambush Alley. But, um, you know, I've had a blessed life, uh, including serving in Baghdad and, and the 700 level veteran stadium. God, Veterans Stadium. I, I can only imagine you're a teenager at that point. You really got a lesson in vocabulary and Philly fans, passionate group. Absolutely love every time I watch sports in Philly. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into task force movement. Now, uh, I said at the top, sounds like a special operation task force movement, but uh, it truly is a special operation for vets. Uh, tell me about the initiative to help veterans find inroads into cyber security and the trucking industries, two things I don't normally put together. Yeah. Well, listen, I would say that the veterans, the American veteran is a civic asset to this nation. And every single year we have about 200,000 veterans who are, or 200,000 active troops, whether in the active component or reserve component, but they become veterans, meaning they're not going to wear the uniform anymore. And we got to make sure we take care of these troops in that transition. That's when a lot of men and women, fall through the cracks. That's why you see the suicide rates and homelessness and some other things. So I, I've devoted my life. I, I help my brothers and sisters. Um, and so that, that transition to make sure that they have a career sustaining job and their family sustaining job. And, and, and to me, that's very important. You know, I, I, I said, you know, the military has been this change agent in American history, meaning we desegregated the military when half the country was still segregated during the middle of the Korean War. We democratized higher education and mother after World War II, um, uh, with the GI Bill, uh, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell ushered in marriage equality because, you know, we don't care in the military who you love. We just care if you could fire an F4 assault rifle and, and kick down the door and, and do your job and, you know, bring the men and women that you serve with home safe. So knowing that, um, President Biden, you know, called upon me and, and a lot of others and said, Hey, listen, after COVID, we, we understand that our supply chain is, is broken. Uh, we have about 80,000 truck drivers short right now. Uh, so whether it was baby formula or the iPhone, you know, not getting the stores, you know, we're hurting. So he's like, Hey, I, not that the veterans are going to solve all 80,000, but you know, can you help? And so we stood up this public private partnership. It's called Test Force Movement. Uh, so we were there, President Biden, a uh, Navy veteran, Phil, uh, and Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who's the Secretary of Department of Transportation. And we stood there in the Rose Garden announcing it with a big tractor trailers in the, in the back of us talking about, hey, let's start the scholarship program so veterans can get free CDL license, commercial driver's license, which usually costs average about $9,000. Uh, so we had the first to drive for 500. So we got 500 free scholarships for that. Then Secretary Pete uh, announced a three, under, under a $3 million scholarship program, again, for veterans and folks to go get their CDL license. You know, and so... We're really getting after it, um, and we're making some headway. We're making so much headway that, uh, you know, the, the president in the White House said, Hey, can you guys, besides just doing trucking and the, the supply chains here, we're about 40,000 short with cybersecurity professionals and it's just the federal government. So could you, you know, launch a test for cyber? So we did that at the American Legion conference in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, and we're partnering with private sector. Uh, getting more folks involved in cybersecurity and what's great about veterans in cybersecurity, even if that wasn't their MLS or their military occupation specialty, which I know you know about, they already have their security clearance. And for private sector folks in cybersecurity, for them to get their security clearance, it takes a year or two years. You already have it as a veteran. So it's a great career. It's high paying job. It's a family sustaining job. It's, it's truly career. Uh, and so whether it's task force movement and trucking, or test for cyber and cybersecurity. 
it's really a public awareness campaign. Like most folks still don't understand if you're a truck driver, most truck drivers aren't what's called over overnight or over the road or long haul truck drivers. They're home for dinner every night, you know? And so that's a common misperception, you know, they have. So to, to me, these are two initiatives that we're doing in this public private partnership. We're getting after it and appreciate you uh, bringing us on to, to talk about it. And, Looking at the trucking industry first, real quick, I love how you'd said that, you know, there was a push to get the problems of shortages solved. And over this last year, the word supply chain issues, you know, became like this kind of, again, buzzword we use in common conversation. And I hear people on social media, well, it's the supply chain problem. I've got a small business where I had to order thousands of paper cups at one point and getting the printed ones, of course, supply chain issues. Somebody said you couldn't get them for like six weeks. How is it that this supply chain issue got started? Because people throw the word around and I don't always even know if it's applicable in this scenario. But but can you just expand on how trucking is the key to solving this supply chain crisis that we've had over the last year? Well, first off, the trucking, like 72% of products are, are, are actually shipped by via truck. So it's, it's a huge you know part of the supply chain crisis. I, I think we got to where we are, Phil, because... To be honest with you, we we took truckers for granted. We didn't pay them their fair wages and benefits that they deserve, frankly. So there's been an uptick since we launched this thing on their wages, which is which is a very very positive thing, and frankly, long overdue. Um, I know Secretary Pete and Buddha Judge is looking at you know the fairness aspect of it. So the example I give is if you're if you're a pilot in an airline or or uh, or a stewardess, you know if you're there for a five hour flight, the flight's delayed three hours. You're hanging out in the airport. You don't get paid for those three hours, right? That's, that's not, that's not fair when you have to be somewhere. You should get paid for that, right? That's, that's kind of fundamental fairness argument. Same thing with truck drivers. You know, they'll go to go pick up loads. They drive, you know, four hours to go pick up a load. The load's not ready to go, but they're sitting there waiting for it because they were supposed to be ready. Well, if they have to wait a couple hours, they should be getting paid for those two hours. And right now they're not. Uh, so I know Century P. Buddha Judge has been a champion for our brothers and veterans, but also for fundamental fairness of the American worker. Hmm. So in, in, in these companies, reluctance to do the right thing and without a nudge from the government or from a presidential administration saying, Hey, you're really screwing the American people here. That all happened over the course of years. So there ended up being a shortage because 80,000 sounds like, Oh my gosh, how did we not notice we were 10,000, 20,000, 50,000? How did it get to 80,000 short truckers? In the course of a year, but you're saying this problem had been stewing and marinating for quite a long time, so many years, and that just suddenly we blinked and we were here with tens of thousands of shortages in the trucking industry. That's right. And by the way, if we don't make a massive difference now, we're going to be 300,000 short within 10 years and a million short, you know, within 20 because demographics are destiny. And, and, you know, some of these truckers are are, retiring and, you know, we got to make sure we're filling the ranks. You know, I always say character is how you are when nobody's looking. And sometimes, um, you know, nobody wants to pay more wages than they have to. But, you know, sometimes, you know, things happen. And if your workers, you know, the one that's holding the bag at the end of it, that's not fair. Yeah. And we saw it, especially uh, when it started impacting baby food and the ability to keep those kinds of products on the shelves. That is. Yeah. Phil, yeah. Can I just can, can I tell you a nice story? Really quick? I'm so sorry. I, I, oh, no, I, man. I, I love it. I, I love it. fired up about this one. I'm, I'm in Lehigh Valley, Lehigh Valley, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's called Lehigh Carbon Community College. And there with the community college president. And again, I, I'm a blue collar kid. I started community college and, uh, and, and, and then joined the army, uh, which really changed my life. But I was there just a few months ago 
with Secretary Pete Buttigieg giving scholarships out for to veterans so they get their CDL license. There was one of their graduates, who's a Navy veteran, who talked about he was actually led the convoy, got a CDL, went down from Pennsylvania with, with six tractor trailers following him, going to get the baby formula from overseas at BWI airport to then ship it across America. Just the first shipment was then by an American veteran. Now that story hasn't really been told, but that's what, you know, it's when I say, I, I don't sound, and I don't want to sound like hokey when I say the American veteran is a civic asset to this nation. We are not victims. We're not these poor homeless people on the street. Like, you know, and, and, and by the way, when we are, we got to take care of them and follow that ethic that he's no one behind. But the American veteran has done a phenomenal job, you know, creating companies like Walmart was started by a veteran or Nike was started by a veteran. Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman start Nike, both Army veterans. Um, you know, Comcast started by a Navy veteran. Enterprise car rental, Wendy's fast food restaurants, um, you know, GoDaddy, like, you know, so again, you know, Ralph Lauren, you know, Polo, like all, again, these are all started by veterans and we don't do enough talking about the positive aspect of the American veteran and how they're civic assets and how they're more likely to vote in elections, no matter if they're Democrat or Republican. They're more likely to be little league coaches in our communities, pastors in our churches. So I'm passionate about of that. I invest in veteran businesses because I believe in veteranship. Uh, and I want to make sure that we have a pathway for great success, especially during that transition period uh, when they're just getting out. Wow. I learned a lot right there. <laughs> Thank you, man. That's awesome. I had no idea Nike was. And uh, I think I knew about Enterprise uh, named after a Navy aircraft carrier, I might add. Yeah. And yep. uh, be curious to do the math and see whether there's more Army veterans or Navy veterans that own Fortune 500 companies. But we'll do that at another time. We'll save that for the Army-Navy game week. Um, well, the biggest retailer in the world is is Walmart, and that was started by Sam Walton, who's an Army veteran. So, and Nike again started by an Army veteran. You guys have Comcast, which is a, the largest media company in the world. So, I, I'll give you that. You guys have better commercials than us, especially the SEALs. You know, if it was up to TV and the movies, the SEALs and, and Tom Cruise and Top Gun, you know, solve all the world's problems. Yeah, so. yeah man. That's all we need is Tom Cruise and a classic Charlie Sheen in there. And we could probably, you know, solve a lot of problems. Um, Last question about cybersecurity, getting back to, again, this joint or this public private merger that is called task force movement. Uh, Great minds, great veterans all combined to try to solve this uh, issue that we're facing, not only in the trucking industry, but the cybersecurity industry. And uh, you noted that, you know, you don't need to be a coder or a programmer. I, I hear cybersecurity and a guy like me, you know, I think back to where I was maybe 20 years ago, if I was going to get out of radio and I was going to go to a different direction, it was daunting. I didn't want circa 2010 to look at a cyber cyber job because I knew nothing of coding. I didn't know a plus plus C plus plus, whatever the languages are out there that they code in. What's a guy to think about dipping his toe in the water in the cybersecurity industry if he's maybe just been an Army Intel grunt? The great thing, Phil, is that that's why we're utilizing the SkillBridge program so that you can actually do some of this training and these experiences when you're still on active service. You don't have to wait till you leave the military and try something new. And even if it's not your MOS, your job, in the military, you can go and do great things. So we're, we're starting, we're partnering with tech companies like ServiceNow and Microsoft to actually do these training at military bases or posts um, throughout the world. And by the way, it's a good thing. And, and, and you know, I, I, someone said to me once when I was helping run the army, they said, Patrick, why should we care about what job they get when they leave the military? I'm like, 
because who do you think our ambassadors are when they leave the military? I go, I go, when they don't get a job, they, they can file for unemployment benefits. I go, do you know how much we spend in unemployment benefits in the Department of Defense, what we call UCX? I go, a billion dollars before I got here. And that's why we quadrupled these, what we call Soldier for Life, these peer summits with the Hiring Our Heroes Foundation, where we bring corporate America these military posts, and they can go and interview and do these self-interviews. We bring in LinkedIn and others to get you know, portfolio, you know, the pictures done, and you set them and show them how you can start a LinkedIn page or uh, Indeed, you know, whatever it is. Like, and so we, you know, we do those things now. We do, you know, hundreds of events every year throughout the world because we love our brothers and sisters, because we say, hey, and again, this is all free for them. We say, hey, listen, we just want to make sure you have a leg up. But we also want you to go and continue to serve. You know, when you wear the cloth of our country, you're not just going to do three years or five years or 10 years or 20 years. You are, you are a leader of character for those years, but you are a leader of character for a lifetime of service. You are expected to give back. You are expected to be a great American. You are expected to go vote and to give back to your community and your country that has already invested in you. A good point and something I think well, even I overlook when I talk about employment things. I'm all about the dollars and the cents. But that said, uh, let's talk real quick and stick the landing here with how we go about getting these jobs, getting into this training uh, for both cybersecurity and trucking jobs. I know the announcement here with Task Force Movement is your partnership with MilitaryHire.com. I like talking about this aspect of it because it's not the current enlisted person or the current military service man or woman this militaryhire.com is a great source for the guys that have been out for five, eight, ten years and found life ain't so grand. They're underemployed. They need to get the jobs that are going to bring home the bigger money because maybe they live in an area where this dense metro population doesn't have thousands of jobs on the wall right now. You know, when you really bring the best technology platform and militaryhire.com, you know, to bear, uh, to make sure that it's a one stop for folks that can see what opportunities that are out there, and no matter what part of the career, you know, if they did 20 years, if they did three years, whatever it is, or if they've been out for two months, or they've been out for, you know, two years uh, or, or longer, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, they are welcome. Uh, they can see where the opportunities are. We provide the resources they need to make sure that they can sharpen up that resume and most importantly, see what opportunities are out there and how they can accomplish the task in hand. And that is to have a family sustaining job, to have a career that they're proud of, that they can continue to live a purpose-driven life. Um, and maybe they get their purpose, you know, in that job. Maybe they get their purpose, you know, by being a you know member of a family and, and community servant. But, you know, they're expected to go and, and find their why and, and do on and do great and wonderful things on behalf of their families, on behalf of their communities. Yeah, ma'am. And it's as simple as that militaryhire.com, right? That's the portal. Yeah. Then from there, yeah. I can find all these avenues, cyber trucking, uh, other right. avenues I didn't even think of. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Very cool. You know, army, right. army taught me, Phil, I don't know how they taught you in the, in the Navy, but they taught me in the army to kiss, uh, mnemonic, which was keep it simple, stupid. And they were talking to me when they made that up. So, you know, we do, we just try and keep it simple, one stop and, uh, we're getting after it. 
Yeah, man. And keep it simple. Yeah. That, that was designed for both of us. I, I, I remember that very well as a 21 year old enlisted yep. in the Navy. Amen. Well, I love it. Task force movement again, uh, helping veterans find jobs in cybersecurity and the trucking transportation industry. It is vast. The listings are endless and the training is available. So I encourage you, uh, if you're a veteran, uh, I, I think one of the coolest things about this last couple of years, if we can find any silver lining to what was a torturous couple of years, is that it did shake up the the employment space and people were deciding all of a sudden for the first time in their lives to say, what is it I really want to do? I've been doing this because I kind of had to do it. Got to keep some money coming in. But people are expanding and exploring avenues of employment. My own family, my own wife is currently doing that. It's never too late. Go find your next best thing. So um really do appreciate what Task Force Movement is about. Militaryhire.com is where you find it all. And Patrick J. Murphy, Philadelphia Eagles fan to his core, former former congressman. But it, that's the least of your achievements. You were a 700-level security guard. That's right. Go Birds. That's what we say in Philly. <laughs> so. Well, it's a long season. I know my Washington might not have a shot, but I'm still, you know, we're still going to be at bitter ends that week in the NFC East, but I appreciate your time yeah, today. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry to hear about Carson Wentz breaking his hand or one of his fingers or something like that, but uh, yeah, yes, I think you guys have some incredible talent, uh, and so we'll see. It's going to be a long season, but so thanks for having me on, and, and to, to your listeners out there, again, militaryhire.com, or you can find me up on LinkedIn and uh, I'll share, share the wealth as well. So God bless you, buddy. And thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Great conversation. Appreciate you. Thanks, Patrick. All right. See you guys. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. 
I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.